Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christoginia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, March 12, 2016. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight we are going to present some Bible basics. And concerning this, all identity Christians should be on the same page. However, sadly, many are not. Tonight is going to be an evening where I repeat myself often because I hope to present several different chapters from the scriptures which also repeat the same things. They can be summarized like this, that we as a people, the formerly Christian nations, are being tried by the enemies of our God, who has permitted this for our sins, which he had long ago foreseen. And there is only one way out of this trial, and that is by the same path that has long ago been spelled out in Scripture. Should we really think that we can change things for the better with an election? The Scriptures tell us no such thing, and in fact indicate quite the opposite. We are never going to vote ourselves out of our current predicament. And the longer we try, the worse it will get. Those of us who are in the know concerning these things can only stand by and watch the circus. In our last few programs here, we presented Adolf Hitler's final speech where he had summarized some of the reasons why Germany was forced to war in 1939. And we hope to have explained that the cause of National Socialist Germany is the same cause which identity Christians should also have. Hitler's war should therefore be our war, in spite of the fact that our fathers fought on the wrong side of it at least the fathers of most of my listeners, and many of our people still do. We also presented Joseph Goebbels' last speech, intending to show that even if Germany had no immediate hope to win, Goebbels remained hopeful and maintained to the end the conviction that God and justice would indeed prevail over Satan, the international Jew. Last night, presenting the later part of chapter 2 of Paul's epistle to the Colossians, we discussed the observation that so many identity Christians are correctly persuaded that we should endeavor to follow the laws of Yahweh our God. But then, on the other hand, they often also intermingle a lot of the concepts of right and wrong from the greater society, or from their own personal judgment of things, which are transpiring in society, whether good or bad. So they are really not following Yahweh's law in the degree which they may imagine. The laws of Yahweh our God are not merely for personal governance, nor are they only for church. Rather, the biblical law outlines the plan for governance of the coming kingdom of heaven, and Christians should seek to live by it and establish it now. As Christ had said, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. We also had recently done a program entitled The Kingdom of Heaven or the Elections of Men. Some of our listeners did not fully appreciate this program as some strong positions were stated concerning Christianity and national politics and especially the current political drama unfolding here in America. Assuming that Donald Trump continues to lead in the voting for the Republican Party presidential nomination. Back to the Goebbels program. While attempting to express the faith which Joseph Goebbels had that ultimately justice would prevail in world events even if Germany lost the war, we stated that identity Christians should indeed have that same hope and with even more certainty. In regard to this, we quoted the Apostle Peter from his second epistle where he said that we have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. That's how we should treat the sure word of prophecy as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. We should be attracted to it like flies until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts or release moths. Tonight we shall commence with our discussion from that very point and therefore this program is entitled Christian Expectations because these are the expectations which Christians should have. If there is no God, then none of this matters. I do not matter. You do not matter. Your listening to this is in vain. And as the sinners are portrayed in Isaiah, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. But if there is a God, he shall not be mocked. And in the end, his creation shall indeed be preserved. Our only question is, just how shall it be preserved? Of course, all identity Christians are fully confident that there is indeed a God, and therefore justice shall ultimately prevail. As we have often stated, as we have often professed over the course of the hundreds of presentations of the scripture which we have, offered here over the last several years. The biblical prophecies do not exist so that we can see the future, but rather they exist so that when they have been fulfilled, reading the prophets, it may be revealed to us that God is true and his word is certain. But once we properly identify the parties of scripture, the children of God and the children of the devil, and the prophecies which have thus far been clearly fulfilled, we can have a certain expectation of what is to come. Writing in the middle of the second century, Irenaeus, the early Christian bishop of Lugdunum in Gaul, 
had said in chapter 26 of book 5 of his voluminous work called Against Heresies that, as the chapter summary goes, John and Daniel have predicted the dissolution and desolation of the Roman Empire which shall precede the end of the world and the eternal kingdom of Christ. Looking back, we can see that Irenaeus understood the prophecies of John, probably referring to Revelation chapters 4 through 6, and Daniel, probably referring to Daniel chapter 2, and perhaps Daniel chapter 7, and Irenaeus understood those prophecies very well in this regard, confidently enough that he stated that these prophecies predict the dissolution and desolation of the Roman Empire. And not only that, but he professed that understanding 300 years before Rome actually fell, at a time when Rome was very near the height of its power. Except for the word of God, no man in his right mind could have predicted the end of the mighty Roman Empire at the time that Irenaeus was writing these things in his interpretation of Daniel and John. And while Irenaeus did not live to see it, he certainly had a sound Christian expectation of what was to come. We also can have this same expectation. And we should. But before we know what to expect, we must know where we now stand. It takes many years of the study of scripture, history, and biblical prophecy to arrive at any serious conclusions in this regard, which is far beyond what we are able to do here for a single presentation. We already have a series of discussions which the of which the purpose was to exhibit our own studies in those areas, and a book which expresses the result, which we call Christreich. And this is not an advertisement, but we must show that we've already considered these things and simply can't squeeze them into this podcast. All we can say here is that while Irenaeus certainly saw the fall of Rome in Daniel and Revelation, he did not very well see what was to follow after, which we can better see from our perspective. Taking, taking Irenaeus's perspective and looking back, we can meet him at that point in his interpretation where he had been correct in his assessment of the prophecy. So interpret, interpreting Daniel 
chapters 2, 7, and 8, and Revelation chapters 7 through 17. After the fall of Rome, we see the rise to world dominance of the nations of the Germanic people, and the 1260 years of the supremacy of John's second beast, described in Revelation chapter 13, which is evidently the papacy of Rome. Concurrently, we see in Revelation chapter 12 that the woman was nourished with the gospel for 1260 years, after which the serpent would send out a flood to drown the woman. Ostensibly, this is the same flood described in Revelation chapter 20 as the armies from the four quarters of the earth which Satan would gather against the camp of the saints in Revelation chapter 17 there appears a great whore and we can identify the whore as the collective children of Israel who had previously been described as the woman of Revelation chapter 12 then we see a depiction of the great beast that she is joined to and something happened in the late middle ages whereby the woman became a whore and the kingdoms of Christendom were turned over to a system controlled by a beast. This we can see as the embrace of global capitalism, of which global communism is a fully owned subsidiary, and it belongs to Satan, the international Jew. In that chapter, we see a description of seven kings which are the seven previous Adamic world empires, and an eighth, which is of the seven, which is controlled by world Jewry and the beast of Revelation chapter 17, because the woman joined herself to that beast. And at the end of Revelation chapter 17, we read, in part, of the horns of the beast which hate the woman. And it says of those horns, For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom under the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So in Revelation chapter 18, the global system of governance and commerce which is put into place by the beast is called Mystery Babylon and this is where we stand today. Collectively, the children of Israel are represented in the Revelation at first as a woman and then as a whore because she had joined herself to this beast. Ostensibly, that joining was done voluntarily and we have seen this unfold before our own eyes over these last few centuries. For this reason, it is the woman who wears the name of this beast, just like your wife, or you if you're a woman, may wear the name of your husband. Mystery Babylon the Great, and she is called the Mother of Harlots, and abominations of the earth. And while the kingdoms of Christendom are in the hands of the beast to which the woman had joined herself, we have an assurance found in Daniel chapter 7. And the kingdom and dominion 
and the and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. And this corresponds to Daniel chapter 2, where it speaks of the Germanic tribes which had destroyed Irenaeus' Roman Empire. And it says, And in the days of these kings, meaning those first four kings of Daniel's vision, shall the God of heaven, the last of them being Rome, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Revelation chapter 17 depicts a woman joined to a beast. The ten horns which belong to the beast, the hatred which the ten horns have for the woman, and the attempt by those horns to destroy the woman, where it says, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Evidently, the way that the beast accomplishes this is through that same flood from the mouth of the serpent, which is meant to persecute the woman, which are the non-Adamic, non Israelite nations from the four quarters of the earth that Satan gathers against the camp of the saints, the Adamic Israelite Christian people. We belabor these things for a single reason, and for a signal reason, because all of these poetically written visions so perfectly describe the condition of our white race as it is today. And they are the only thing that explains the stupidity of our white race as it is today, inviting ourselves to be overrun with every foul beast. Therefore, how sure a word of prophecy do we need before we are convinced that if all of these words of our God have unfolded so precisely that the balance of them will also unfold precisely. So, we should seek to stand with our God as it is also described, speaking of those same ten horns of Revelation chapter 17, that these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and they that are with him are called and faithful and chosen. The Revelation represents a series of visions 
which do not necessarily follow one another chronologically. However, there is a general chronological progression. And then, every so often, there is a summary vision. Again, we would need a long explanation to prove this, and we have already presented that in Christreich. Summary visions in Revelation are given, for instance, in chapter 13, and again in chapter 20, where in part we read, And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Yeah, go to those white people's lands and take all their shit and rape their women. That's exactly what Satan's doing. He's deceiving all of these non-white nations. He's leading them to their final fate. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on a breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven that fire would be the house of Joseph the house of Jacob as it is described in Obadiah and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever and later in Revelation of course everyone all those beast people not found written in the book of life will join that same fate we would assert that this vision represents the most recent stage of world history where Satan the Jew was emancipated from the ghettos of Europe coming up out of the pit and has now deceived the whole world. No doubt it is the same Jew who is gathering the nations against the white race as we speak. But there is a much longer version of this same prophecy found in Ezekiel chapter 38. So Revelation chapter 20 serves as a second witness to the veracity of Ezekiel chapter 38. And after the manner of the Hebrew literary technique called parallelism, another version is found in Ezekiel chapter 39. First note this, Ezekiel's prophecy is only timed with phrases such as, after many days from the time of Ezekiel's writing. But the same language is repeated in Revelation chapter 20. So we are confident that this vision is for the present time. It was given while Ezekiel was in the Assyrian captivity of Israel, which we know because that is what the prophet told us in the opening of his prophecy that he was by the river with the captives. And it has not been fulfilled until now, except that it is absolutely manifest that 
at the present it is beginning its fulfillment once the parties of scripture are properly identified Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 1 and the word of Yahweh came unto me saying son of man set thy face against Gog the land of Magog the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal and prophecy against him and say thus saith Yahweh God behold I am against thee O Gog and has studied a revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel would reveal that Gog is indeed an epithet here for the international or satanic Jew. Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the later years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people, against the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste. But it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. Now, prophecy is not meant so that we could see the future. But it is clearly evident that even though this is drawn up in a military sort of language, a military invasion isn't really necessary when you just swing your doors open and let all the aliens in, as we have done in America and now to a greater extent in Europe and as other of the Saxon nations have done in Australia, in New Zealand, and in Canada, as the people of South Africa are also being overrun by aliens. Whether or not there is ever a technical military invasion as we know it in modern times, or as Ezekiel envisioned it in ancient times, is immaterial. We have been flooded with aliens, and they are on the verge, especially in Europe, of being like a cloud to cover the land. Many of those aliens come from the lands 
occupied by tribes which were formerly white tribes, which were known as Meshach and Tubal, as Persia and Libya and Ethiopia, as Gomer and Togarma. Those names are used here in my estimation so that we could see where these enemies would be coming from. But these enemies are no longer the same as those ancient people because those ancient Adamic tribes were given up to race mixing and overrun themselves long ago. Ezekiel 38.10 Thus saith Yahweh God, It shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates. Now this really didn't describe any land until the North American continent was discovered. And the North American continent was settled by Anglo-Saxon people where there were hardly a city with walls. There were a couple. Quebec City, early Montreal. There was a wall in New York. There may have been some walls in Boston, but nothing like there were in Europe at the time where practically all cities were walled. But today, modern Europe, most of the villages and towns do not have walls. There may be some historic sections of certain towns and cities with walls, but they've long ago overspilled them, so they really have no walls either. And this is happening in Europe as well as America. And technically, both lands are gathered out of the nations, America much more recently. And we can't discount our Anglo-Saxon kindred in other nations, but the correlations with our continent here are the most striking. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods, and dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Dedan, Arab peoples of today, and the merchants of Tarshish, who were, to a great extent, Phoenicians, but also Canaanite Jews, the merchants of later Spain and Portugal, were for predominantly Canaanite Jews. With all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey? to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil. Therefore, son of man, prophecy and say unto Gog, Thus saith Yahweh God, 
In that day, when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it. And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the later days. And I will bring thee against my land that the nations may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their very eyes. Now this couldn't be in Palestine for many reasons. First, the children of Israel were just sent out of Palestine by the Assyrians, most of Judah also, into Assyrian captivity, and they were never to return to Palestine. Thus saith Yahweh God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them? And it shall come to pass, at the same time when God shall come against the land of Israel, saith Yahweh God, that my fury shall come up in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field, and all creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all the men that are upon the face of the earth, shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, great and mighty nations, and every wall shall fall to the ground, and I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith Yahweh God, Every man's sword shall be against his brother, meaning that much of the enemies of the children of Israel will destroy themselves. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him, and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. Therefore, Ezekiel chapter 39 is more or less a parallel prophecy told from a slightly different perspective. Therefore, thou son of man, prophecy against Gog, and say, Thus saith Yahweh God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, tribes that were later found in what we know as southern Russia. Now, there is contention over the translation of verse 2, which the Geneva and the King James translations have gotten very wrong. Here we will supply it from the New American Standard Bible, which agrees very well also with the Greek Septuagint and with Luther's German version of the Bible. And verse 2 says, And I shall turn you around, drive you on, take you up from the remotest parts of the earth, and bring you against the mountains of Israel. And picking back up with the 
King James Version at verse 3. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. This is poetic language. It doesn't mean that the people that flood these Israelite lands are going to have bows and arrows. It only means that Yahweh will smite the weapons from their hands. Bows and arrows being Ezekiel's best correlation to weapons of war. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort. We will see this same poetic language used in Revelation chapter 19 a little later. So it should be noted. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith Yahweh God. And I will send a fire on Magog, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the nation shall know that I am Yahweh, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith Yahweh God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And, and that they may dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Seven prophetic years could be a long time. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forests, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them, and rob those that robbed them, saith Yahweh God. So this occupation, this robbery of the children of Israel, would be an ongoing process. It would take an extended amount of time. And we should note that language when we present Revelation chapter 18. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place of a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop up the noses of the passengers, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hamongog. And seven months, or two hundred and ten prophetic years, if you will, and seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. Yeah, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown in the day that I shall be glorified, saith Yahweh God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, the New Deal, passing through the land to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth, to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search, and the passengers that pass through the land, when they see a man's bone, 
Then shall he set a sign up by it. Nobody wants to touch it. Till the buriers have buried it in the valley of Hamangog. And also the name of the city shall be Hamona. Thus shall they cleanse the land. And now, son of man, thus saith Yahweh God, Speak unto every feathered fowl. Note this when we present Revelation chapter 19. And to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you. Even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. So here, the feathered fowl and the beast of the field actually represents the children of Israel. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till ye be full and drink blood till ye be drunken of my sacrifice, which I sacrifice for you. Thus shall you be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with men of war. This is the wedding supper of the Lamb. Saith Yahweh God, And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I, am Yahweh their God from that day forward. And the nation shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So they fell all by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions have I done unto them and hid my face from them. And this is what we've been going through for 2,500 years. Therefore, thus saith Yahweh God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. After that, they have borne their shame and all their trespasses, whereby they have trespassed against me. When they dwelt safely in their land, and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people, and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am Yahweh their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the nations back in the days of Ezekiel. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face from them any more, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith Yahweh God. That's the Christian expectation. It sure as hell isn't going to happen in a voting booth. If we examine the language of Ezekiel chapter 39 and compare it to Revelation chapter 19, we see the descriptions are in many ways identical. 
it then becomes evident that the Feast of Sacrifice in Ezekiel 39 is indeed the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is described in Revelation chapter 19. But before discussing that, we shall discuss another parallel vision found in Micah chapter 4. And when we do, we will see that we will not, those who are of the children of Israel, will not spend the wedding supper of the Lamb on a dance floor or sitting on their asses at a table gouging themselves, especially with the blood of princes and the chiefs of the earth and the mighty men of the earth. They will actually be doing it out in the fields and fighting for it. Micah chapter 4 a similar vision, but in the last days, but of much more overreaching vision. But in the last days, which is a Hebrew idiom for the future, but in the future days, the word akarif. But in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established in the top of the mountains, meaning that the children of Israel would be in the principal nations of the earth. And it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of Yahweh of hosts have spoken it. For all people will walk, every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of Yahweh our God, forever and ever. That passage, some might say, aha, universalism. But where are the idols of the nations? Other prophecies told us that the idols of the nations are not. They don't exist. They're not real. These people that are walking in the name of their own gods, they're going to be as if they have never been, just like their gods. That's the promise in Obadiah. And once we understand the scripture, that's what Mike is also telling us. And we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. In that day, saith Yahweh, I will assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, her that halteth, the children of Israel, who did not migrate far away from the place of their captivity, her that it is driven out, the children of Israel, her that I have afflicted, the children of Israel, and I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off, 
a strong nation. And wherever the children of Israel went, the further they went, the greater and stronger a nation they became. Until they got to America. And Yahweh shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth, even forever. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Tower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the chiefest of the nations of the children of Israel. Unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem, the true Jerusalem and the true daughter, not the Jews. Now why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs what we suffer now. Pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in a field. Then thou shalt go even to Babylon. And I am persuaded this is a reference to the mystery Babylon of Revelation chapter 18. And thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There Yahweh shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. Language from Ezekiel 38 and Revelation chapter 20. Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled, and let our eye look upon Zion. But they know not the thoughts of Yahweh. Neither understand they his counsel. For he shall gather them as sheaves to the floor. And here, the children of Israel, sitting at the proverbial table of the wedding supper, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass. And thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto Yahweh, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. The same language that we see in Revelation 18 and in Ezekiel 39. So there is a point where the daughter of Zion, the nations which were formed when the ancient children of Israel were cast out of Palestine by Yahweh their God, would be called to arise and thresh, not to arise and vote, arise and thresh in response to those many nations gathered against her, who would defile her when the pangs overtake her as a woman in travail. This same point is evident in another place in Revelation chapter 18. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils. Go look at New York or London and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Go look at a 
Black Lives Matter demonstration. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Don't go into her and vote. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her the gain that we are to consecrate unto Yahweh. The merchandise, the property that we are to reacquire back from the heathens in Ezekiel. Reward, reward, I'm sorry, reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her according, double according to her works, in the cup which she has fulfilled, fill to her double. So after the fall of Mystery Babylon, the children of God are told to separate themselves, because they just can't do it while they're in captivity and to reward her even as she rewarded you. And this must be that same call which we saw in Micah, where it says, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. In the balance of this chapter to Revelation, we see a description of mourning by the kings and the merchants of the earth for their lost trade, and a description of the lost merchandise. And it concludes that in her, meaning in this system of global commerce and global government. In her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So we see the connection to world Jewry once again, as Christ had blamed the Jews of his own time for these same crimes in Luke chapter 11 where he said to them that the blood of all the prophets spilled from the foundation of the world should be required from this race, his adversaries in Jerusalem. Links global commerce straight to the Jews. Look up, open your eyes and look. And there is no doubt that the word of God is true. The blood of all the prophets spilled from the foundation of the society should be required from this race, the race of the Jews in Jerusalem. From the blood of Abel under the blood of Zacharias, who was killed between the altar and the house, the father of John the Baptist. Yeah, I say to you, it shall be required from this race. All the prophets from A to Z. This is the Christian expectation to see this global capitalist system fail, and once it does, to be one of those who gets to do the threshing, to see the Jews, who have attempted to establish themselves as gods, go up in flames once and for all in the big holocaust that we owe them.
That should be the foremost hope in the heart of every identity Christian. The description of the marriage supper lamb parallels the visions of Ezekiel and Micah, where it also speaks of the aftermath of the fall of Mystery Babylon in Revelation chapter 19. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto Yahweh our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up for ever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on a throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye, all ye his servants, and all ye that fear him, both great and small. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for Yahweh God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife, the children of Israel who came out from Israel the whore, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they, which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what we weigh, the call to arise and thresh. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. This is a rise and thresh, and fire come down from heaven. And he, he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he would smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, this is Ezekiel 39, 
come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all free and bond, both small and great. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on a horse and against his army. This is going on. Now it's been going on. We're in the midst of it. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. At this point, only do we see the fulfillment of what was written in Obadiah from verse 15. For the day of Yahweh is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, those heathen nations that came like a cloud to cover the land and to get their fill from the children of Israel. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yeah, they shall drink, and this is a reference to the cup of Yahweh's wrath, and they shall follow, swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been, because every one of them is going to be buried. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. This is the fire come down out of heaven in Ezekiel 39. And the people who arise and thresh in Micah chapter 4. And the house of Esau, the international Jew, for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. For Yahweh has spoken it. There won't be one Jew left. Satan here is represented by the Edomite Jew and all the heathen in Obadiah are all of those nations which Satan has gathered against the camp of the saints in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Revelation chapter 20. In the end, as it is described in Ezekiel, the nations which see that the house of Israel was sanctified in the sight of Yahweh their God are those same Israelite nations, as there will be no others. As Obadiah informs us, they shall be as though they had not been. 
This is the purpose of the marriage supper of the Lamb, to fulfill the same promise which was made in Jeremiah chapter 30. For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, to save thee to the children of Israel, though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered thee. Yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. This is our only Christian expectation. There is no other. We wait for Mystery Babylon to fall. We have no choice because, as it says in Revelation chapter 17, just a few verses before the fall of Mystery Babylon is announced, our kingdom has been handed over to the beast. We have no control over it. We can't go vote our way out of this because the beast has our kingdom until Mystery Babylon falls. We have no control whatsoever. We would help it along if we only could, and we hope that after it does, we are still around to help partake in the promised vengeance against the system and against Satan and his minions, the Jews and the non-white races, which are all of these non-white races currently flooding into the white nations. They are all coming here to die. And the Christian hope is to see the end of them. But this will not happen with an election. Elections are not a promise. They are not an element of our Christian hope. If you put your hope in a man for salvation, you turn your back on your God. And that can be likened to idolatry. That is idolatry. Now, I would not go so far as to label someone an idolater just for the act of voting. However, if you vote even with this in mind, because you hope a particular candidate is going to put the plan of God into effect, unwittingly or not, then you are also attesting a belief that God needs your help or the help of the candidate to fulfill his promises. God doesn't need your vote. You better hope that you have God's vote. Every four years, well-meaning people think that they can help God by promoting just the right presidential candidate to get us out of this mess. For the last couple of election cycles, it was Ron Paul, and he was extolled because he was going to audit the Federal Reserve, as if that's a solution for anything. Does anyone really imagine that Mystery Babylon will fall because the Federal Reserve doesn't withstand the scrutiny of some Jew accountant? Who's going to do the auditing? Another Jewish-controlled accounting firm? Maybe Price Waterhouse? Arthur Anderson? Are they still around? And what can they audit when there is no standard for what should be? The money isn't real. Only, except that the people are led to believe that it's real, which is also an element of the modern Baal religion. Some people have posited the idea that Donald Trump might be the catalyst precipitating the fall of Babylon. But even if that's the case, we should not be 
campaigning for Donald Trump. We should be campaigning for Babylon's fall, educating our people as to just what is wrong with this system and what we must do to be found on the right side of justice in the end. Babylon is not going to fall with an audit. It's not going to fall with a fence. It's not going to fall with the enforcement of green cards. It's not going to fall with the establishment of immigration quotas. We don't want immigration quotas. Bring all the bastards here. Bring them here tomorrow. They're all coming to die. Babylon's not going to fall with the renegotiation of NAFTA or with any other trivial issue which may or may not be part of any particular candidate's campaign promises. Babylon is sure as hell not going to fall with an election. And if Yahweh our God wanted a particular candidate to win, even the niggers would be voting for that candidate. So he would not need us. But only Yahweh is going to make Babylon fall. And identity Christians had better be prepared for what to do when it does fall or they too will suffer its punishments. So here is the real issue. Do we campaign for Ron Paul? Do we campaign for Donald Trump? Or do we campaign for Christ by informing our people of what is really going on, whether they accept it or not? As Christ himself had said, no man can serve two masters. No man can honestly serve competitive interests. Campaigning for Donald Trump, we neglect to take our God seriously, and we join in with all of the godless bastards and secular so-called white nationalists who have no faith in God, but would rather put their faith in a man like Donald Trump. Is that really where we should be found? Oh, Jesus ain't really coming, so I'm going to hedge my bet with this Jew-loving casino owner, because he talks a good shtick. We cannot have that attitude and still take our faith seriously. And if we do not take our faith seriously, how can we ever expect to win over the hearts of our people? Trump might be good comedy, but that is all he is. He might be a little better and easier to stomach than that bitch Hillary Clinton, but our feminized society deserves the feminist hag. They deserve, these men out there today worshiping niggers on TV, they deserve Hillary Clinton. They deserve worse. In the end, if Trump does win, he will leave white nationalists looking either stupid or hopeless. And which one it is? I cannot yet tell. But that would also serve our God. Because without Him, we are stupid and hopeless. Yahweh has promised in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 
So do we think a presidential candidate will solve for us the Jewish question? You know, I saw just last week a supposed Christian identity pastor actually promote the idea that Donald Trump was the new Jehu opposed to Hillary Clinton's Jezebel. So Donald Trump, the Jew-loving chump, is a king of Israel? I wouldn't wipe my ass with him. There is no way that that identity pastor has a clue. Anybody listening to him is a clown. They should be redressing him. Donald Trump is no Jehu. He's a gambler. He's a double-crosser. He's a Jew-lover. He's just another shill in the satanic crime ring called world Jewry. That's all he is. So do we think a presidential candidate will solve for us the Jewish question? No. Only fire come down from heaven will do that. How about the nigger problem? Is Trump going to ch- solve that? How about the mestizo problem? No. Only a repentance and an appeal to Yahweh our God can solve those. And once we repent, perhaps Yahweh will pave the way to solving those problems and all others. But it won't be by election. We should only be campaigning for one thing. The truth about God and his Christ. We should not be engaged with the world. The world has a nigger problem, a mestizo problem, a Jew problem, and Hillary Clinton. And they deserve her. Thank you for listening, and good night.